Well, blessings in the name of the Lord. Um, we were excited to come when Martin uh, extended the invitation and to uh, spend a weekend and a Sunday morning here with you all. It's, uh, we were excited, we were looking forward to it, and we trust that uh, we could be encouraged by one another this morning. Um, let's uh, bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we, we come before you, Lord, this morning. Father, we're so thankful for your grace, your mercy. Father, that we see is new every morning. Father, as you allow the sun to rise on the just and the unjust alike, we see that you allow the rain to fall on the just and the unjust alike. Father, we see your long-suffering, your patience, your goodness, Father, to mankind. And Father, we see that in such a perfect picture in, the, in Jesus Christ, Father, that that you were willing to sacrifice your only son for our, on our behalf, Father. We are so unworthy, and yet, Father, our hearts swell with thankfulness, Father, for your mercy and for your grace. Father, we thank you for this gathering. We thank you, Lord, for your word and for this opportunity, Lord, to uh, worship you together with one heart, to uh, lift up our voices in praise and adoration unto you, for, Father, you are worthy. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to open your word that you have so richly left for us, Father. And we just pray, Father, for your blessing upon our morning. We pray, Father, for the leading of your spirit this morning. Amen. <clears throat> Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. There's a portion of scripture here that I'd like to take a look at this morning. Um, You know, we, uh, we sang the song this morning, Near My God to Thee. And I trust that's our hearts this morning as, uh, as we've gathered here that our hearts desire is to draw near to the Lord, to uh, walk in a closer relationship with Him, to uh, understand Him, His will, just uh, a little bit better than we did before. It's... Uh, we're, so, we're such a privileged people. Um, you know, I've shared this back home many a time. Um, when you look over the course of history, and uh, you know, I'm not sure how many have, are interested in reading um, history, I find it uh, quite fascinating. And you look over the course of history, and you see the day that we live in, where we have such ease of access to, uh, to God's Word. In a language that we understand, in a, in a translation that we can have full confidence in, without um, the problem of, you know, at least with the majority, without the problem of, you know, illiteracy, where we can, we can take it, we can read it, we can understand it. Um, we, are a, uh, we are a blessed people um, considering the time that we live in, that we have, that, you know, God has been so faithful in providing us so richly with what we need as far as, uh, you know, his word and being able to just take it and understand it as far as the, the language goes. Um, we, have a few, we have a few individuals back home that, uh, for whatever reasons, they were, they, you know, in their growing up years, they never learned to read and much less read the English language. And, uh, you know, Whenever I've spent a little bit of time with them, my heart always fills with thankfulness that God has given us his word and that we have the ability to just be able to take it and read it. It is, uh, it's such a, such a privilege. <clears throat> I would like to read here, in chapter, starting in uh, chapter 6, verse 10. Um, it's a familiar portion of scripture, but I find it uh, refreshing and encouraging every time I read it. He says here, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You know, we, uh, we have, and it was prayed this morning, and I was very encouraged by the prayer, that we have God's power that we can rely upon. We have God's power. We have an almighty God, an almighty Father that cares for us, that loves us. And he, we're told here, brethren, be strong in the Lord. And in the power of his might. We find in another portion of scripture, Paul's prayer for the churches is 
that we would be filled with God's power, with all the power of God on our side that we have access to. And, you know, we've, through the book of Ephesians, and I trust most of you are familiar with it, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of practical instructions that we find in uh, how we relate to one another, how we relate to those um, in the world, how we relate to our families, um, servants to their masters. We, we find a lot of instruction that we find throughout the book of Ephesians, and some of it, when we look at it just from a, uh, you know, from a physical or a carnal perspective, it might seem overwhelming, it might seem difficult, and I'm sure many of you um, have come through some different challenges and trials in your life in relation to some of these same things. You know, your relationship to uh, the unconverted or to, you know, brothers, other Christians, to your family. You know, the trials come our way that we find difficult to uh, overcome. And, you know, my experience in my own life, my testimony would be that the, uh, the only time that those trials have ever been too difficult to overcome is when I find myself seeking to do it in my own strength. When I find myself looking to uh, my own wisdom, understanding, or ability to be able to make some of these relationships work, and, that, and, and, I, and I don't turn to the Lord, and I don't rely on His strength, and in the, I'm not walking in the power of His might. He tells us here in verse 11, Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil." For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness in this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And so we're told here that this is what we are, this is our, our fight. As children of God, as those that are walking in the Spirit and seeking to glorify God both with our minds, our bodies, and with our mouths, this is who we are wrestling against. And we need to understand that. I think it's of, of utmost importance as Christians to understand that our battle, our fight in this world is not against flesh and blood. Though sometimes it may seem that way, but it, we need to have that clear that there is a, there's a power, a principality, spiritual wickedness that is seeking to destroy God's people. And that comes in various different forms. And sometimes those forms that that comes in is flesh and blood. And yet what we need to see and understand is that it's not the flesh and blood that our battle is against, but that there is a different power behind that that we are actually wrestling against. Because, you know, we, some that, you know, that you might have some that are, you know, if it was against flesh and blood, they might have a certain amount of confidence in their own ability to wrestle against it. But when we see and we understand that we have an enemy that is seeking to, walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, or he might come as an angel of light seeking to deceive, but we, there's, a, there's an enemy that is looking to destroy God's people, and he'll take whatever means, he'll stoop however low he needs to, for that to happen. And if we, ho- if we hope to stand against the wiles of the devil, who is working in this way, if we, have, if we hope to stand against that, we need to understand that we need the, we need the power of the Lord on our side. We need, to, we need to fight this fight. We need to be strong, and we need to put on God's armor for any chances to be able to stand against these wiles that He throws our way. These darts that he fires at us, they're not going to be something that our flesh, that our, you know, our mind or our flesh are going to be able to withstand. Because as soon as we fall into that, um, that place where that's what we're relying on, we, we can expect to fail. We can, we can expect that we are not going to be able to stand. And yet that's the, this is the will of the Lord for us that we see here is that we are to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might, putting on the whole armor of God so that we can stand. That's God's will. That's what, he, that's what His desire is for us, is that at the, as we walk through this life with all of its challenges and trials that may come our way, that we can stand. I think of what uh, Brother Martin shared earlier this morning. We may stumble, 
but we're, we're walking uphill. And, you know, that may be a, a comment or a statement that could be uh, in a very, used very broadly. But in, the, in, the, in our walk with the Lord and in our fight against the, the principalities and powers and rulers of, dark, of the darkness of this world, we need to understand that. We need to see that, that God's desire is that we stand and that we are not defeated. That we are not at the uh, that we are not failing or falling at the at the darts and wiles of the enemy. And he has a list here of taking on. He says, "Wherefore, verse thirteen, wherefore taken unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand." <clears throat> This is, God's, this is God's will for us. This is God's will for the, for the church, for, for his people, is that we would stand. We look, through, we look in the Old Testament, and we see multiple accounts and occasions where you have God leading his people against absolutely impossible odds. Something that it carnally, you know, carnally speaking, it, is, it was ridiculous for the children of Israel to even attempt to overcome. You know, when you see them coming out of um, Egypt and you see them coming into the promised land and you have all of these different armies and all of these different kings and cities, fortified cities, that this bunch of uh, slaves are now going to seek to overtake and without the hand of the Lord being upon them, you see that they, were, they, they would have never made it. And you have examples of that over and over again. You see uh, Joshua leading the people of Israel against the fortified city of Jericho, who some years earlier, when the, uh, the 12 spies were sent to the city of Jericho to spy it out, they came back with a report saying, we were as grasshoppers in their sight. There's no chance. Turn back. Go back to Egypt. Go, you know, forsake this. Ten of the spies said, forsake this way. Go back to Egypt because this is sure death to seek to overtake these cities. And you had two faithful that were saying, in the power of the Lord, in the might of the Lord, we can overcome them. And, you know, we know the story. The Israel turns back and they're punished and they travel the wilderness until the, uh, that entire generation died off. But then a new generation rises up and in faith they walk across uh, dry land through the river Jordan and they overtake the city of Jericho in a way, in a manner that any um, experienced general of an army may look at and they might, have, they might say, this is ridiculous. What are they doing walking around the city and then leaving and then walking around the city and then going back and then walking around the city and blowing trumpets? How are they hoping to win any type of battle like this with walls like the walls of Jericho? And yet you see God in his might and the children of Israel walking in the will of the Lord and being obedient to what God's will and what God's word is saying. You see the walls come down and you see the children of Israel overtake the, uh, the city of Jericho. And, you know, we, we have stories like that over and over again throughout the Old Testament, throughout, uh, you know, the, the battle of the kings and so on. And you see God moving in the people of Israel. And when, as, when the children of Israel are being obedient, when they are obeying God's word and walking in His will, you see Him giving them victory after victory after victory. But you also see the opposite true, where after such a great victory in the city of Jericho being taken, and a transgression was made, and now the Israelites, they say, well, let's leave most of our soldiers behind, and let's take so and so many, and let's go and take over the city of Ai. And you see that uh, God's blessing and God's hand was not there and you see them fleeing the city because of sin that was in the camp, sin that was in their midst. But you, you see here, you know, God's will is that, the, that, the, that his people would be victorious. That God's people would be the, uh, that they would overcome the wiles of the devil. And that they wouldn't always be a people that are down and defeated. And unfortunately, when we look at, uh, you know, when we look at, the 21st century Christianity, 
Too often we see that that's the testimony. Is that God's people, you know, God's people is the, def- or they're the ones that are always in retreat or in being defeated, like when they went up against Ai. And rather, those that are walking in victory and overcoming even a fortified city like Jericho. And we have, Christ tells us that even the gates of hell will not be able to withstand the church. Even the gates of hell will not be able to withstand the church. And, you know, I I often, you know, I I would read that and my, uh, my initial thought to that scripture was, so, you know, if we put on the whole armor of God and we are, you know, we're ready to defend ourselves, when the gates of hell come at us, we'll be able to withstand it. But... Gates are never inoffensive. Gates in a city are always a defensive, never an offense. And so when we, when we see and when we hear the words of Christ saying that, you know, that uh, the gates of hell will not be able to withstand God's army, God's people, he's not talking about God's people being on the, on the defense and withstanding the gates of hell, but he's talking about God's people coming in and storming Satan's kingdom in his power and his might, in that the gates of hell will not be able to withstand it. <clears throat> there is a, uh, in my experience, and I'm, I'm not going to say that this is a blanket statement across, you know, across the board, but in my experience with, uh, in Christianity here in North America, um, Christians have taken up a comfortable place of being on, a def- on the defense and taking up a defensive position where we are going to defend this, what we have here, this, this little, you know, whether it be our church or this community or our family, whatever it may be, but we're going to take up a defensive position so that when Satan comes to attack, we'll use the armor of God and we will, you know, to, to, to be able to protect this. And be content with that. And I think that the, the church does a great disservice to the power and might of God when we take up that position. We're given here, you know, armor so that we can wrestle against flesh, uh, sorry, not against flesh and blood, but that we can wrestle against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this world, and against spiritual wickedness in high places. We're given this armor so that we can so that we can wrestle against it. And we look at these diff, the, look at the different armor, and you know he's giving us here a picture of a soldier of their day that would have been decked out in the full armor of a breastplate and a shield and a helmet and having his feet protected. And you know he he has all of the protection, his loins protected, but then he's also given a sword. And so. We have, we know that Satan, our enemy, he's going to come and he is going to attack God's people. He is going to seek to destroy what God has created. He is, that we know that that's going to happen. And we have all of this different armors that we can put on to protect ourselves from those attacks. But what the beautiful thing is that God didn't just give us a shield in this armor, but he gave us a sword. And he gave us a sword, and he says it's the sword of truth, which is the sword of the Spirit, sorry, which is the Word of God. And we have, he has given us this, this, this book right here, the Word of God. He has given us this so that we are not, so that we don't always have to live in that position of a defensive, but that we can take God's Word and we can go and we can storm the gates of hell in the power and might of God. These are things that God has given us. These are, these are um, weapons that God has given us so that we, as God's people, could, become, could be effective for God's kingdom. So that we, as God's people, could, pro, could move God's kingdom forward and not always be trying to keep ground and not lose ground, but rather that we could gain ground in this spiritual battle that we are facing in this world. 
And unfortunately, we have we live in a time, and one of the wiles and darts of the enemy is distractions in this world. That's one of the great tools that Satan has been very effective in using is distractions. You know, you have an individual that loves the Lord with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength, and Satan comes and he tries to entice him into a life of sin. And if, he's, if he is uh, faithful in studying God's word and in, in spending time in prayer and in evangelizing, I would trust that that would be a, uh, it would be a, fu- a fruitless endeavor for Satan to try to lead him into some sort of gross immoral sin. But what we find where he has been so effective is in distractions. Distractions in this world that are not necessarily bad and they're not necessarily good. Things that, uh, you know, that, that can easily take our mind and our focus off of the fight and the battle that we have before us and be busy about all these other things of life. And these are things that we are all, especially in a uh, culture of North, prosperous North America, that we are all very susceptible to. Very easy that we can be distracted in this North American uh, this North American culture that we live in. And, you know, I, my mind goes to the scripture where any man that entereth into a warfare, anybody that goes and takes up the, uh, the call of a soldier and goes off to fight in a war, he is not going to be entangled in the affairs of this world. He's not going to be out on the battlefield and be concerned about the things that are going on over there. He is, he's, in a, he's in an all-out battle, facing an enemy, and if his mind is, half of his mind is focused on other things back home or back over there somewhere, in the land that he came from, <clears throat> if he's wondering if... <clears throat> excuse me... <clears throat> If he's wondering, if he's back there, and if his mind is distracted with, I wonder how, you know, I wonder how my field is, is doing back, in, uh, back home. I wonder how, you know, I wonder if the, 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 the man that I set over my field, if he's, you know, if he's uh, keeping the weeds out, if he's making sure that this is okay, if my house is in order, if all of these things are happening, if he's concerned about all of that, and his mind is not intent and focused on what is going on before him, good chances are that the enemy will smite him. He needs to be focused and he needs to be without distraction in this place where he is. And that's the picture that we have that God gives us of the battle that we are facing, this, this place that we are, this fight that we're fighting, is that we cannot be distracted and entangled in the affairs of this world because our heart needs to be single towards the Lord and our, because that, that's where in that we need to f- see the enemy, this, um, these powers and principalities and rulers of darkness in this world and we need to see that this is the fight that we're fighting. This is where our focus and our, and our energy needs to be spent. Now I understand there's all sorts of things in life that demand our attention. You know, God says himself in his word that he that has a husband cares for the things of this world. She that has a husband cares for the things of this world, how she may please her, her husband, and vice versa. And so we understand that there, there are always responsibilities in, you know, that we have to face and we have to you know, attend to in this life. You know, he, a man that is not going to take care of his family is worse than an infidel. The man that's not going to provide for his family, and so on. We have, you know, scriptures are full of those types of things. But, and so I don't want to, I don't want to diminish and take away from those things. But we need to understand that our purpose, being on this world, is not to build a kingdom of our own. Our purpose in this life is not to, uh, is not to, you know, create the best family and to, create the best business and to that's not the purpose of our of our life here thank you brother but our our purpose here is to build God's kingdom 
and to fight this fight that God has set us here to fight. To seek, to, you know, as has been shared this morning, to encourage those around us, to encourage our brethren, to edify one another in love. That's a part of this because we know that if Satan is seeking to um, attack me, I can be just as confident that Satan is also seeking to attack my brethren. And that we as, uh, as, you know, as brothers and sisters, we encourage, edify, build one another up, strengthen one another in our most holy faith. But it also doesn't stop there. It also doesn't stop at just this, this gathering here where, you know, this is, this is our little safe place and this is where we are going to fight at this fight and we're going to encourage one another and make sure that, you know, we're all doing well and encouraged and uh, seeking the Lord. But that it extends beyond this and that we see that there is a whole world of lost and dying souls headed for an eternity. That Satan will want nothing more than to keep them in the place of whether it's sin, whether it's uh, some type of blindness, but whatever state that they're in, that Satan is going to do whatever he can to seek to keep them in that place. And we have been given the responsibility as God's people and as soldiers in God's army to seek out and save all those that we can reach. We see here, if we continue reading after he shared his, uh, <clears throat> after he shared his, uh, the, you know, the different pieces of armor that we find here, he says in verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And so we have that here. Part of our battle is that we pray for all saints, for the, for the, perseverance of all saints this is a part of our fight in this battle is that we are we we have a love and a care for our brethren that we are willing to lift them up before the lord and pray earnestly for them for their perseverance in whatever trial they may be going through whatever place they're in in life that we would pray earnestly for them And then he continues, And for me that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. And so you see, God's will for his people is that we pray for the saints, that we pray for those that are... uh, that, that we know are you know, faithful and love the Lord, that we pray for them earnestly and faithfully, but that we also, you know, you see the Apostle Paul in prison for preaching the gospel. He's in bonds for preaching the gospel. We see the same, we see his same heart in his letter to the Colossians, where he is in prison for preaching the gospel and his re- prayer request for the churches, is that they would pray that a door of utterance would be opened unto him, that he could further preach the gospel. And if, you know, we see that this is God's heart, this is God's will for his people, is that this is the heart and mind that we as God's people would carry. Paul testifies of him and his uh, group of companions that that he believes that he has the mind of Christ. And I think his life and his testimony would um, testify of the same thing. But that's the same mind that we as God's people need to seek and seek the Lord to have, to, to have as well. Is that mind of Christ. Where when you are suffering for the sake of the gospel, that that wouldn't discourage you, but that you would continue to press on for the sake of the gospel. That you would continue to minister regardless of what you face. You have someone like the Apostle Paul and other brethren that have suffered the same thing since. In the last 2,000 years, many brethren have suffered many of the same things. Where they were imprisoned for the sake of the gospel and their heart's cry was that they would find more souls to reach. You know, we, uh, <clears throat> I don't want to diminish from that prayer. And so I'll be careful how I say this, but you know, I, I've heard many brethren pray that, the, that God would open up a door of utterance. 
And yet what we find is when Paul prays, when Paul is asking for that prayer, when Paul is asking that uh, the church pray for him in that way, he's in a very different circumstance than we find ourselves in today. You find Paul, the Apostle Paul, you find him in prison, chained up like a criminal, without access to the outside world, except by letters and perhaps some visits. And his prayer is that a door of utterance would be opened up to him. An opportunity to come across a soul that has not heard of Jesus Christ, that that would open up to him so that he could share Christ with him. That he could share the good news of Jesus Christ. That his soul could be saved if he puts his faith in Christ. This is what Paul wanted. This is Paul's heart cry to the church. Is that pray that this opportunity would open up for me. You don't see Paul. Either here in Ephesians or in Colossians. You don't see Paul instructing the church to pray that for them. And it's because they, you know, we live from when we leave this, uh, the church building here this morning, we're going to, you have opportunity to go to any of the neighbors. You have opportunity to go into a grocery store, into a, you know, any place of business, any just people that you meet across on the streets. You know, as we were pulling up um, to come here to the services, a building somewhere over here, you know, lots of vehicles there, lots of, it looked like there was a, a lot of people there. I have no idea what that was. But opportunity and doors of utterance are open to those that are walking freely all around us. There, there's, and so like I said, I don't want to, you know, if your prayer is that the Lord would open up an opportunity to share the gospel with one that has an open heart, I don't want to take away from that prayer. I hope I'm not being misunderstood. But what we need to see is that opportunity is abounding all around us. And to open our mouths for, this, for, for Jesus Christ. And the thing, really, the only thing that gets in our way, most of the time, is the flesh that we have to deal with regularly. This is what we find as a hindrance. It isn't opportunity, but it's the it's it's usually usually and you know this is something that we can we are all have to deal with is a willingness to stand out and for Christ, a willingness to um, be put to mockery for the sake of Christ. We don't have to worry about, for the most part, physical persecution. We don't have to worry about being thrown into prison for testifying of Christ. You know, in most cases here in North America, the worst thing that we have to worry about is um, people ridiculing us and putting us to shame. That's for the most part, and you know, rejection. That that's the that's about the worst that we have to face. Um, I've never suffered anything worse than that, and uh, the, the same is true. I think for. Pretty well, everyone I know. There's some places if they're uh, if you you know get involved with a group that's radical enough um, in their religion, you might find um, some instances of persecution in the, uh, physical persecution there. But for the most part, we live in a time in a place where we could say the law is on our side to protect us, and we have been given. Everything that we have need of by God to be faithful and to, be over, to overcome. This armor that he's willing and ready to give us, if we're ready to take, he tells us, put on the armor of God. He doesn't tell us that God is going to put it on you. He's t- God is telling us, put on the whole armor of God, that at the end, after when ye have done all, he says that we can stand. <clears throat> you know, we, we live in a time of uh, where we are, we, we face the struggle of being perfectly content with how our life is. It, it's, a, it's a real struggle that we face. 
It's uh, you know we we have our family and uh, you know we we can we can we have the liberties to homeschool them and you know we can raise them up in the fear of the Lord. We can teach them God's word without fear of any persecution. We're not like in some countries where if you're found with a Bible, you know it's you're hauled off to prison. We uh, we live in, we have a lot of freedom in this land that we live and it's whether it's that freedom. Or what it what it is, but it has caused a we're at uh, we're in danger of being content. Now Paul says we need to learn to be content in whatever state we're in, but he's not talking about this type of contentment where I have my family, I have my church, we gather on Sunday mornings for services and to worship the Lord, we gather on Wednesdays for Bible study, we get together on a regular basis, and we make sure that we. Open up the, the scriptures at least a little bit so that we f- go home feeling like we edified one another and we have good friendship and fellowship. And we're just, it's so easy to come to a place of just sitting back and being completely content. And if all of a sudden we see some powers of darkness come our way, we'll, cri- we'll quickly grab some of the armor God has given us and we'll defend our little safe place that we have. But God wants so much more from his people. God didn't want the children of Israel to just come out of Egypt and settle in the wilderness and find a nice place for themselves. This is, that, wasn't God's, that wasn't God's will for the Israelites. God's will wasn't that He, you know, okay, we'll take you out of Egypt, we'll take you out of the bondage of sin, we, you know, we'll pass you through the Red Sea, and then now we're going to find a nice little place in the wilderness where you can grow and expand and farm and do all of these things. And I'll provide you with, uh, you know, with manna and with water from a rock. And you know, I'll provide everything that you have need of. And we'll just be content to you know, let our light shine in this wilderness over here. And, what everybody, and you know, that, that, was, that isn't how God dealt with the Israelites. And it's much less so how God desires His people to function and His church, His body to be. But his, his desire for his body is that we would storm the gates of hell. That we would come to a place where we're not always in the defensive position and trying to put out this fire and that fire and that fire. But where we are united as one mind in Christ to go forward and, sh- and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to a world that is lost and dying. A world that is, you know, at the precipice of falling into the pits of hell. And the only hope that they have of being saved from that, God has entrusted to his people. <clears throat> it's a, uh, it's, it's not very complicated. It's, it's not very complicated but like I said, we have something that we need to deal with, and that is, that's our flesh. And, uh, you know, when I, when I talk with brethren back home, and, uh, you know, I, I just, you know, we get into a discussion of evangelism and sharing the gospel, and, you know, whether it be at the workplace or with family, un, uh, unsaved family members and so on, um, I've watched a steady decline and this, you know, I'm not sharing this to, uh, to put down any of my brethren. They, 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 you know, they love the Lord and they're, um, they're seeking to uh, glorify God and all that they do. But it's, you know, there seems to be a, rather than an increase of a burden for the lost, there seems to be a tendency amongst God's people that after walking with the Lord and, you know, for so and so long, being a Christian for so and so long, the burden seems to diminish instead of grow. And, you know, I think this is, again, one of the, one of the tactics of the devil in just a complacency, just a contentment to be in this little safe place that we've created for ourselves. You know, I think of the church back home, and, you know, we're at 20 to 25 families, and, uh, you know, the fellowship is sweet, and, uh, you know, we... We, uh, there's, there's a love for one another and uh, we're seeking to grow in that. And it's, it's so easy to be content in that place. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure many of you have probably heard it, but uh, as the saying goes, 
Christianity is a lot like, uh, or the church, the Christian church is a lot like uh, manure. You know, you pile it up in one place and over time it begins to stink. But you spread it across the field and it fertilizes and causes things to grow. And, you know, as that's, you know, as I'm looking in, at the scriptures and looking at North American Christianity, my fear is that we, the, the church of Jesus Christ in North America is, is, instead of being that fertilizer, it's beginning to stink. Because we're just, we're just content here. And then when you're just focused inward like that, then, you know, we, we start wondering, we start looking at brethren and, you know, it's like Satan has a way of causing some type of contention and, you know, and so now we start putting out fires in our little, uh, our little safe place rather than seeking to put out the fires of hell all around us. You know, in Romans chapter 12, we have 11 chapters of the most in-depth um, exposition of the gospel in the first 11 chapters of Romans. And then in chapter 12, verse 1, I think it's just such a fitting place where to share these words where he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You know, at the end of all of it, when it comes to our walk with the Lord, when it comes to our salvation, Jesus Christ, you know, uh, taking our sins upon himself, while he hung on that tree, you know, taking the, the judgment of God that we deserved and giving us an opportunity, a clean slate, and, you know, taking our sins as far as the east is from the west and into the depths of the ocean where it will be remembered no more. That's what Christ did for us on the cross and gave us, while we were yet sinners, unlovely, um, you know, the, Christ loved us, Enough to take that upon himself that we could be reconciled back to God. This, you know, this is what this is what the gospel is. This is what it entails: is that we, as wretched sinners, and deserving all the fire and brimstone of hell, being given an inheritance incorruptible that fades not away in place of that for nothing that we have done. It is only reasonable that we present our bodies, these bodies that we now have, this flesh that we, are, that we have been left with here as we walk this world, as we go about our days, that we would present this body a living sacrifice. You know, the, the scriptures say that the old man has been crucified with Christ. That means that this flesh, Johnny Dreger, Whoever he was and whatever he was before doesn't matter anymore. None of it. Not his, not his thoughts, not his reputation, not his uh, preferences. N- none of those things. But none of those things matter anymore. Because he was crucified. He's dead. You, I mean, you look at someone that has, that has passed away, that has passed on. And, you know... Nothing really matters anymore about what his preference is, what, what, he, what he would have wanted. You know, if he would have, uh, you know, been an opinionated individual, you know, as soon as he passes on, his opinions don't really matter anymore. You know, you, you don't go to him for advice anymore because what he wants, what he thinks doesn't really matter anymore because, you know, he's dead. And that's, that's the picture that we're given, that we have been crucified with Christ. And so any of ourselves don't matter anymore. But what matters is Christ. And so this body that we're left with, the owner of this body is dead. And it's now being occupied by Christ. And so this body is now to be presented as a living sacrifice. Something that is wholly given unto the Lord. Not my own, but the Lord's. And as soon as we can come to that place as God's people, then all, any of the reasons and any of the uh, hesitancies to be faithful ministers of God's word and to go out and to share the love of Christ with those around us 
any reasons not to disappears. Because whether it's physical persecution, whether it's even persecution unto death, if this body is ready to be sacrificed for the sake of Christ. Whether it's uh, being rejection of either family or, or old friends, that doesn't matter anymore because this body is ready to be sacrificed. Whether it's just ridicule and shame, whether it be, you know, if you're working on a job site and you know, you've witnessed to everybody and they all kind of team up and ridicule you, it doesn't matter because this body has been sac- is ready to be sacrificed. It's, you know, when somebody mocks me when I've shared the gospel with them, it's, it hurts Johnny Dreger. But Johnny Dreger has been crucified. So if it hurts him, it doesn't matter. He's dead anyway. And so we, this is, you know, verse 2 here, he says, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know, it's, uh, this is what God's will is for his people, is that we come to this place, that we come to this place of serving the Lord with our whole heart and with our entire body, understanding that this body has been crucified, and so it doesn't matter what becomes of it, that this body is not, you know, it's, that we're not conformed by this world because it's usually this flesh that wants to be conformed by this world. It's usually this flesh that wants to, uh, that this world has in, uh, is trying to allure and trying to draw. But when our minds are renewed and we have, and we can prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? That's, that's the place God wants to see us at. And to bring it in, so for that to happen, we need to, back to uh, Ephesians chapter 6 here, we need to understand that we need to be strong in the Lord. We need to, you know, we read, again, back to the Israelites and the 12 spies that went to Jericho. You know, we can look at that, we can read the account And we know God promised them, look at the mighty hand that God took them out of Egypt with. Single-handedly, without the Israelites having to raise a sword or a spear, they not only came out of, made it out of slavery, but they were able to come out of Egypt. They plundered Egypt. They came out rich. And the entire Egyptian army was destroyed. This is the hand of God. This is, this is the might and power of God. One of the great nations of the time was completely destroyed without Israel having to raise a single weapon in defense or offense to get out of there. And then they come to uh, Jericho and the 12 spies and they come to that place and they're like, there's no way we can do this. There's no way that we can overcome this city. They were slaves. They were going through affliction. And they were oppressed as a people. And so it's not like their morale was high and they were ready to rise up and fight and rebel against Egypt. You know, when Moses first comes to Pharaoh and Pharaoh rejects Moses' words and then he puts a heavier burden on Israel, they're not like, well, it doesn't matter. Let's continue. We can still do this. They, they're like to Moses, why did you have to do this to us? Why did you have to put even more burden on us? So it's not like they were in a place where they were ready to rise up and fight. And yet God still took them with his mighty hand, took them out and sustained them all the way to the river, Jordan. And now they come to there and they're like, no, you know what? There's no way we can do this. We cannot overcome this battle. They weren't, they weren't coming and being strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And so when we come to that place, we see when God has taken us out of our sin, varying degrees to the different individual in this room that has been saved, but we see in regardless of the state of sin that we were in, whether it was worse than some others, but you know, God is not limited. God's grace was never limited to the excess of sin. But God was, by His power, able to save to the uttermost. And so if there, you know, regardless of the sin that we were in and the extent of the sin, God was able to take us. And when he was done washing us in the blood of Jesus Christ, those that were worse sinners were at just as white 
as those that were a little bit better than them. And so that's the power of God. And we see such amazing power and might that God was able to save us from the clutches of Satan and from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son. It's amazing and glorious the salvation that God wrought in those that have put their faith in Him. How much of a smaller thing for God to be able to give us the strength and power to overcome any difficulty when we go out and seek to faithfully share his, this good news with the lost and dying world around us. And yet, in the same way that um, Israel was overcome by the obstacle that was directly before them, they forgot what God did back in Egypt, and they allowed their flesh to become, to, to overtake them. And that's the, that's the unfortunate um, reality so often in the lives of Christians. Is that regardless of this amazing salvation, you know, and it's whenever somebody gets saved and, you know, there's a baptism and, you know, the gospel's being preached and, you know, every Christian, the testimony is usually every Christian is ready to, is refreshed and renewed and ready to go out and share the gospel wherever they go. You know, this was glorious, the salvation that, uh, that we again experienced with a brother or sister. But then the weakness of our flesh comes in when we're, finally, when we're actually faced with it. When we're actually face to face with an individual that you know is likely going to reject the message that you have to share. And will ridicule you openly to all those around. And then, you know, the, the reality of your flesh rises up again. It's the same situation, but we need to, we need to understand that that same God, with this, that He's just as mighty, the same God that was mighty to save, is still mighty to give us the strength and the power to put on the whole armor of God and having done all to stand. You know, I think of, uh, my mind goes here to 2 Timothy. Um, chapter 4. I'd like to read a few verses there. <clears throat> 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall heap, they heap to themselves tear, teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. And so this is the Apostle Paul's encouragement and charge to uh, Timothy, who was a, a minister of God's word. And now Paul says in verse 6, For I am now ready... To be offered. You know, Paul, he, he, in other letters, he, he wrote that he was in a, he was torn between two, he was in a straight betwixt, whether to depart, which is far better, for, far better, or to remain, which is more, which would be better for the church. And, but now he says, I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. The Apostle Paul, he has fought. He has run the race. He is now at a place in his life where he says, now I am ready to be offered. He said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. And so this he's bearing testimony of his life and his ministry. He's bearing testimony of what he has done. And, you know, I've heard over the years people comment on uh, the... Uh, on Paul being a proud man, that he had an issue of pride. And I would dare say that most of the time when, uh, when people, if anybody has an issue with Paul making a claim like this, where he looks at his life and he says, I have fought a good fight. And they might say, well, that's kind of proud for Paul to say that. 
And usually the reason that someone and that an individual would feel that way is because they themselves would be convicted because they would have to look at their own life and say, I have not been fighting a good fight. I have, I have not finished a good course. They might say, I've kept the faith. But they would most, you know, most of Christianity today would not be able to confidently say, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course, the course that God set before me. I have finished it, so I am now ready to depart. But unfortunately, most of Christianity today would look at their life and they say, well, I was way too busy with this, with that. I was too distracted with this thing over here. And I did not give enough time, attention, and effort to the ministry that God would have seen me do. But Paul, he is, he is exhorting, he is charging young Timothy at this point and telling him, Timothy, this is what I am charging you to do. And the Apostle Paul could charge Timothy confidently with this because this is exactly what we see throughout the life of the Apostle Paul. And then he says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. To all those that love the appearing of Jesus Christ, He is ready and willing to give this crown of righteousness. He is ready to take this crown and he is ready to say to those that love is appearing, that has walked faithfully and fought a good fight, to say, well done, thou faithful servant. Well done. And I trust that the heart of every one of us that have uh, been saved that have been redeemed, that, that, that our heart's desire is that. That we would hear that and that we would have that testimony at the, at the end of our days, whether it's at an old age or whether it's at a, a, a time of um, martyrdom, whatever, wherever it might be, that we would be able to with confidence say, I have fought a good fight. But that is not going to come by chance. That is not going to come just by you know, us keeping ourselves busy and distracted with the things of this life. And then one day when God comes with, a, with a, you know, an audible voice, then I'll be ready and faithful to go and minister. But where we see scriptures like Ephesians chapter 6, where we see the Lord speaking to us and telling us, put on the armor that God has provided. All of these things that God has provided you put on so that you can wrestle with these principalities and powers so that you can overcome. When you get into battle with, with the powers of darkness that you will come out victorious. That when, after, when you have done all that you are standing. That's God's will for His people. This is the place where God, and God is a faithful, merciful, long-suffering Father, which I am eternally grateful for. And so he's not a, uh, you know, he's not this hard-lining Father that is, you know, smacking his children over the head. And, you know, why aren't you, you know, why haven't you come further along yet? Why are you still just here? Why are you not you know, why haven't you taken up that helmet yet? Why haven't you taken that breastplate yet? He's not, he's loving, he's patient, he's long-suffering. And yet that, regardless of how loving and patient and long-suffering God is, that does not change what his will is for us. That doesn't change that our heart's cry, our heart's desire needs to be what we find here in Romans chapter 12 that we are ready to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, for Him to take and do with as He would see fit. You know, there's, a, there's a scripture in, uh, in Philippians, see if I can just quickly. 
Philippians chapter 1, we see here in verse 29, he says, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake. We have been blessed as God's people with the privilege of suffering for the sake of Jesus Christ. It's a privilege that we get to believe on His name. And so now in the behalf of Christ, it's been given us, that privilege has been given us to suffer for His name's sake. This is the language of the New Testament. This is the language of the Scriptures. When it comes to us as God's people, it, it, the language that we find in the Scriptures is not one of ease and comfort and God just making our life a, you know, an easy walk down a, you know, a, nice, a nice path. We don't see that in the lives of anybody in the book of Acts. You don't read through the book of Acts and think, wow, I want to be a Christian so that God um, will just make my life as easy as he made it for the Apostle Paul or for Timothy or for any of these other faithful ministers. That's not what we see. We see a life of sacrificing ourselves, our wants, our flesh for the cause of Jesus Christ that his, that God's name could be glorified. That His building, that His church could be built up, strengthened and grow. That, though, that sinners could be saved. And through that, God's name be glorified. That's, that's what, and whatever it takes to bring that to pass, whatever it takes to make that happen, because you know, our, our ease of life is not important because we, this old man has been crucified. And so now it's Christ living in us to further his glory and the glory of God, not a life of comfort and ease that we find so tempting in a North America. You know, I would, uh, you know, I would even like to share the testimony of uh, a brother and a sister that we've gotten to know that came from, uh, that came here during the war from Ukraine, and uh, we've had some fellowship with them. And blessed brother um, seems to have a genuine love for the Lord, and his he's tried multiple times over the years to come to Canada to bring his family to Canada during times of peace in Ukraine. Because the, uh, the, the testimony or the thought was that life in Canada or the U.S. was so much better, so much easier, so much, it was just so much better. And uh, his testimony of having been here now for, you know, four months, I'm not sure exactly, it could be longer. But his testimony now is that there is a darkness here that is fueled by the, uh, the desire for riches and uh, um, comfort and ease. That uh, men and women that, have, that had left Ukraine you know, years ago as faithful, God-fearing people that he met with now since he's been here and has found them to be um, having no care or desire for the things of the Lord, but having a um, giving themselves fully to making their life here in Canada as easy, comfortable, and prosperous as possible. And he said, "It's something that you just uh, that the common people in where he comes from just they're not. It's just not that the opportunity is not there." And so the, the danger and temptation isn't there because of the, the, the lack of opportunity. And, uh, you know, his testimony was, last time I spoke with him, was that uh, if things went back to normal, you know, their, their initial plan had been to come here and seek to gain Canadian citizenship and move to Canada. But his, their hearts and eyes are now set back home because they just feel that this is a dangerous place to raise Children to fear the Lord because there's such a lack of trust in the Lord because materialism and possessions are so free and abounding in this country that we live in. It's, it's, and so we get distracted by these things as God's people and God's calling us to be single-eyed to Him and to give all that we have for Him 
laying down our flesh and any wants and desires of our flesh for the sake of his gospel and the furtherance of his kingdom, regardless of what the cost and expense may be for us. And so for us to be faithful and able and capable, we need to stand in the the power of God's might, putting on the armor that God is supplying and fighting and wrestling against the principalities and powers and rulers of darkness that we may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand in God's power, in God's might. You know, we'll find in our own strength, we'll find ourselves failing and futile and weak, but God has provided all that we have need of. You know, we don't need to look to great men of history like the Apostle Paul or, you know, you know the Spurgeons and Finneys and all of these great men that we um, read about and uh, we marvel at their faithfulness and so on. We, we don't, because God has all power sufficient to create that same thing in every one of us. If we will but put, find ourselves at that place of putting all at the foot of the cross, leaving the old man there, and walking in the power of God's might, seeking to advance God's kingdom in every aspect of our lives. That was what uh, the Lord had laid upon my heart. Um, I trust that um, God can use that to encourage you to uh, glorify Him in all that you do. God bless you all.